Hello, everyone, and welcome to the KW Maps Podcast Growth Edition, where you learn one specific strategy that a KW Maps client implemented to sell more homes. Today, you'll meet Jake Dreyfus, a real estate professional in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, who joined KW Maps four years ago. You'll learn why Jake invested in Maps Coaching, how he focuses on leverage and increased his transactions from 225 to 568 in just two years. Jake is honored to be the CEO of the award-winning phillyliving.com team and is excited to lead its expansion into New Jersey. If you like this podcast and would like to subscribe, search KW Maps Podcast on iTunes. You can also go to kwmapspodcast.com. So let's get right into it and listen in on the interview with Jake Dreyfus and Diana Kokoska. Jake, I am so excited to be talking with you. I mean, you have taken your production from 184 units to 225. Of course, then we got to get involved with you here at MAPS. You went to 308 and last year at 565, 565 units. I know that we are going to learn a lot from you today. And I love to hear people's stories because everyone has one. Would you tell us about your Yourself and your story. Absolutely, it's my honor to be here. Um, so I actually graduated from Penn State University in 2003, and at that point, I had been studying consumer psychology. I was fascinated with how people made decisions, and to be honest, I didn't really understand how I was going to apply that into, into the professional world. So I started surveying the landscape of different things I could do, and it turned out I ended up in a conversation with a national real estate developer. Um, that was recruiting, looking for sales and marketing talent. And what struck me about the opportunity was that when people are making real estate decisions, it's one of the rare times they're actually making both an emotional decision and a logical one. So I thought it would be really interesting to understand that consumer better because typically people are making one or the other, right? It's either emotional or just extremely logical. So uh, I ended up moving to Washington, D.C. and spent the first couple of years of my real estate career solely representing sellers, um, new construction, uh, learning the ins and outs of the real estate business from land acquisition and entitlements to sales and marketing to contract to close management and even actually building homes in the field. So it was a really great immersive look at the program. And what I didn't realize until years later, the beauty of it was that I was already learning the power of listings and how it can bring me leverage and leads. I didn't work with actually a buyer in my real estate career until years later. Parlayed that career um, into working with other developers all up and down the East Coast in D.C., Maryland, Virginia, and Pennsylvania. And then, I don't know if anyone else listening to this can relate to this, but I had always had kind of a fascination with the restaurant business. I'm not exactly sure why, but I did. I thought it was an interesting business where there's this immediate gratification, right? You meet with a customer, they order something from you, you deliver it to them, they smile, and you move on. Um, so I had the opportunity to invest in what was at the time a very young franchise of restaurants coming to the U.S. from Canada, and we had some locations in Pennsylvania. And while I didn't run them on a day-to-day basis, I was still absolutely in real estate, um, I had the opportunity to go in and, and eat, and being kind of the curious person I was, I noticed that everything in our business we were doing revolved around technology. This was 2006, 2007, to give you a frame of reference. The iPhone had just come out. Text messaging was becoming more and more socially acceptable in the workplace. And what I noticed was the one thing that we were managing without technology was our employee schedule. 
And employee schedules are actually the only thing in the restaurant business you can control when it comes to labor costs. So I had the idea to build an app because at that point in the, in the United States and the world for that matter, everyone and their brother were building apps when they had an idea. So I thought to myself, well, the real estate business isn't going anywhere. I'm just going to take a leap of faith. I'm going to put that career on hold for the moment. I'm going to build a software company because I, I figured out an angle that, that we can, we can build a product in here and help a lot of people. And to convince a, convince a good buddy of mine to go into the business with me, he left Wall Street, I left real estate. Uh, and here we go hitting the ground to build our software company to solve this employee communication issue. To fast forward the conversation, uh, we end up raising a couple million dollars in venture capital, building up the company and eventually selling it to one of the largest privately held payroll companies in the country. At that point, I'd been married for a year and it had been kind of a wild sprint. And my wife and I decided this was a chance for us to take a breath, um, collect our thoughts, and frankly, cross an item off our bucket list. So we decided to pick up in a two-week period and move to San Francisco because we loved it there and wanted to experience life. In taking some time to reflect back on what I did really well professionally where I needed some improvement, I recognized that while we were building our sales team and our sales culture for our software company, we never really did it that effectively. And I thought about the products and services we used to build our company, and one of those products was a, a product called Salesforce.com, which is a customer relationship management software. And to be frank, I didn't love the product, but I had been studying their trajectory and what they were building in terms of their company culture and that, that um, the culture of sales and, comp and healthy competition. And so I begged, borrowed, and stole, and got one of my dream jobs working for that company. So I got to experience life on the inside of a Silicon Valley. At that point, it wasn't a startup, but a, a rocket ship shooting the moon in terms of taking over their market. So my mindset there went to understanding how to build systems in order to delight customers and keep in touch with them and really connect with them in new ways. At that point, a good friend of mine and my current business partner flew out to go hiking with me. At that point, he was running one of the larger uh, real estate sales teams for a competing brokerage, not Keller Williams. And he was talking about some of the challenges of running that business at that time and also reflecting on the fact he had been to a few of the family reunion events, a few mega camp events, a couple of local regional speaking events. It was so blown away by what Keller Williams had to offer in terms of training, frankly, just idea sharing with his peers, um, coaching, mentorship, the whole thing. And, and yeah, sure, the financial picture was also brighter as well. Long story short, the conversation started to progress. And what I didn't realize at the time is we were going, we basically were career visioning each other. Um, I was asking him questions about his vision of the company. He was asking about my vision for what the future of my, my personal um, career was going to look like. And about a month and a half later, I decided to, my wife and I, and at that point our three-month-old daughter, decided to fly back to Philadelphia to package together our business, figure out what it was, move it to Keller Williams so they could grow and flourish, and then expand our partnership from there. Um, so I came back to join the team when it was doing roughly, uh, let's see, about 64, uh, 184 transactions at the time and with about 17 members. And the past five years, we've grown it to now um, over 40 people on the sales and rental side and eight support members. And we got to help about 600 families last year. Um, and we're making a lot of mistakes along the way, but we're having a lot of fun. So that's a little bit about me. You know, it's important, though, to make mistakes, right? Oh, my gosh. That's why I look back and smile. Um, and the key is obviously reflecting on them and putting breaks in our schedule to realize when, in fact, we've actually made one so we don't gloss over it. Absolutely. Right. And being a person of consumer psychology and knowing that logic makes them think and emotion makes them act, it's interesting to me that in sales, 
Why is it that so many agents, Jake, don't get that, that they're afraid to make mistakes, they're afraid to bring in the emotion, or sometimes they bring in too much? You know, there's a great book called Daring Greatly, which talks about that, you know, true leadership can't be really fully achieved without vulnerability. And I don't believe vulnerability can truly happen unless there's a certain level of confidence in in the person. And I think one of the greatest challenges in our industry now, and one of the reasons why we do see such high turnover is not that the business is hard. Every business is hard. It's that there's an issue with self-confidence. And I think if you're a confident person or you're willing to build the skill of confidence, You'll see that in order to do that, you must get clear with and become honest with yourself about your failures. And that's one of the themes we'll have with this conversation today and some of the failures we've had that while you read our great numbers over the past couple of years, our year this year is, is when we talk about those numbers specifically, you'll see that we're addressing our failures and that had an impact on our business in terms of our, our numbers. Well, yeah. And if you don't have problems or challenges and you really don't have a business, I mean, <laughs> isn't that why people hire you? to help solve their problems? Yes, ma'am. Right. So how did you move to Keller Williams? Because I know you said that you were with another company before. What brought you to our company? Well, I appreciate whoever it was that, that grabbed Noah out of his chair and said, come to these events. Someone just got him in the door and that got the, uh, the saliva going in the mouth. Got, it got some excitement going. Um, but the, the primary reasons, when we, when we look back at it, the icing on the cake was the extra money to the bottom line. The icing on the cake was the profit share. Really what we were yearning for was conversations with people who were willing to be open and vulnerable about what's working for them and what's not, who were at the same level of production that we were or greater. And just that, that perspective of there's enough to go around, the abundance mentality. Literally, I can think back to our office and remember people going into the stairwell, the emergency stairwells to make phone calls because they were so fearful that someone else might overhear them. And the few people in the office who were actually making their cold calls and using their scripts and dialogues, they were laughed at. I can still remember that. So that's how looking back, like, and we didn't know any different. That's where the business was born. So that was the normal case. When we started coming to events, it was almost hard to believe how much people were sharing. Um, I know sometimes the, the classes that get the greatest attendance are being taught by agents already in that office not by some trainer flown in from across the country. So those things, is, those are the things that piqued our interest. Um, at that point in time, too, there's a lot of conversations around expansion and what's next. So I think for the first time, Noah and, he, and myself were being challenged to think bigger, and that drew us in like a magnet. We were not having those conversations where we were. Well, it's important to always think big, and yet I – just based on the way you talk, I know that you have like the pedal to the metal that you're going. Do you, do you ever have chaos? <laughs> so I just got off my coaching call. I think my coach would, he would, he could reiterate this as well. I mean, every single day. Uh, um, so I came into the business, you know, for the, and for the folks listening out there too, that are, who think that they're just an operational person or just an integrator and they're not the visionary to steal from the rocket fuel book. I, I say baloney. Every single person in this business comes in and you are both a visionary and you're an integrator. And you, and you need to be able to do both in different percentages at different times. So for me, coming into it thinking, well, I'm just a systems guy. Yeah, Diana, I was really uncomfortable with chaos. But as I was promoted to, to take over the company, as Noah went on to venture into other activities, I was forced to become a visionary. I was forced to get comfortable with the chaos that comes with it. In fact, 
the words that I use oftentimes when I'm in, you know, making folks offers to join our teams, like, let's get comfortable. Let's be honest with ourselves. Like, this is going to be messy if we're doing things the right way. The key is that we continue to talk through it and we recognize where, th- where there's failures. And we always, though, in addition to the fact there's always going to be chaos, the customer always has to come first. We always have to respect that because we want to, when a customer comes into our life, they can't see the chaos inside as we're growing and tweaking, sure, but we need to make sure that we're, we keep our eye on that as well. But yes, as a leader, chaos comes along with pushing organization. And Gary tells us this all the time, if we're not losing people, we're not, we don't have enough pressure on our business, right? Um, and so all that comes with a little bit of mess along the way too. Well, and being messy and you being in the restaurant business before, when I go to a restaurant, I don't get to see what's happening in the kitchen that often, do I? I mean, they're moving around. Sure. It's pretty messy in there. And yet when they deliver the food, it looks really great and tastes good as well. So that's what we do with our buyers and sellers. And one thing I detect from you is you're always into personal growth because you use the word vulnerability. How can you be vulnerable if you're not growing all the time? How important is personal growth to you and what do you do to obtain it? I appreciate you asking. I, for so, such a long time, I identified myself as an introvert, um, and I wouldn't put myself out there. And five years ago, when we joined Keller Williams, I um, came to our first mega camp, and I was blown away. And on the flight home, I turned to my partner, Noah, and I said, you know what? Five years from now, I'm going to be on that stage. Like, I'm not sure what, what the topic's going to be, but I'm going to put myself out there enough to where I'm going to be on that stage. And, and to frame that up a little bit, Noah, I've known Noah since – uh, middle school, my partner now. And he knows that if we're going to a big convention, I'm kind of the wallflower. I may meet one or two people and have really deep conversations, but I most likely won't typically be the person at the front of the room dancing and getting to know everybody there. So for me to make that statement to him, I carried some weight. And five years to the day, I'm proud to say that I, I got to have that, that, that conversation with Gary on stage because I started putting myself out there. Um, I knew in order to become the leader that people wanted to follow, um, I need to work on personal growth, to your point, Diana. And I need to put myself in a place where every single day, a day could not go by without something that pushed me to, to think, pushed me to think and grow, and frankly, to pour into others, to steal one of your phrases. So I created a morning group. I, I, I'm an early riser. I'm, a, I'm up at 4.40 every single day. That's my time. And I built a community around that that would force me every single morning to lead others. So in fact, just this morning, I led 100 people on a Zoom video conference at 5 a.m. to 5.15 a.m. We're reading a book together. We're setting big goals together. And we hold each other accountable every morning at 5 a.m. So before I've even left my house, I force myself to pour into others, um, to be part of a community that's supportive and that will also pull me up when I need it. Um, and that's just one piece of evidence that as an introvert five years ago, I would, I would have cringed at the thought of that. Um, and so that's just one little piece. Um, constantly reading, constantly learning, very aware that every single moment in my life, there's, it's, it's their choices. Um, just, we just finished up reading Joe DeSena's book, the, the founder of Spartan Races. He talks about engineering adversity into our lives, right? He physically carries around a 45 pound kettlebell with him every single day. So the adversity I engineer into my life is waking up early every single day like that to make sure that I, I feel both the pain and the excitement of being alive every single day. Um, and so those are some of the ways I, to steal Abe Sharif, my former coach, is uh, this phrase, I booby-trapped my schedule to insert that adversity and those chances for growth. 
So even like little micro moments in the car, you have a choice. Are you going to listen to music or are you going to listen to something that, that you can learn from, you know, a podcast or something like this? And you know what? Sometimes, Diana, you just need to, you just need to chill. You just need to listen to music and that's okay. If you're going to sit on the couch and watch a movie, sit on the couch and watch a movie. Don't check your email while you're doing that. You know, like own that moment. But if you're going to be purposeful and you're going to want to learn something, just, just put on the podcast and leave the music off. Um, so those are just some of the ways I insert personal growth into my daily schedule. Well, I love that. And you did a great job on stage, by the way. So great being a visionary and engineering adversity. Love that phrase. What adversity are you engineering in your life right now? You know, when you run a team that's large or larger, you can hide between the cracks. You can make things look better than they are. You convince yourself that they're better than they are. Um, I confront that reality. We, we decided to make our team into a fully transparent profit-sharing organization, which purposely, well, on purpose, such that we have to share everything with our organization, whether it's the leaders or the agents on the team, P&Ls, all of that. So I can't hide behind anything. If I want to stand up there and try to pour into others, well, I better be running a good business. If people, if I want to lead a team where people want to follow me, they better be able to see that in my P&L and also in the way I show up every day. So we engineer adversity on our team by confronting the, the reality of our P&L publicly once a month, every single month. We have a standing call every single morning where I better be prepared to lead that team and have a thought. Even if my morning went off the rails and both my kids were crying and we got to school late, it doesn't matter. That call is going on, right? Um, so our team meeting every Tuesday. I better be prepared to pour in value. And I also have a standing meeting with every single person in the organization to review their pipeline every single week. That's not comfortable for me or for them. Uh, everyone wants to believe we're all doing great, but we, if we don't have that, we won't stay together and we won't be able to handle the tougher times. And that, that's Joe DeSantis' point about the engineering adversity. If we can't handle this, how are we going to handle a, a shipping market that gets worse than it is? So those little things, yeah, sure, it'd be easier for everyone just to kick back and come to the office whenever they want. But we put those things in our schedule, and, we, and frankly, we just follow the schedule. Um, so it'll be a lot easier not to. You know, it's interesting because you said pain and excitement in your life, and I'll bet you sharing those profit and loss at first, it was like, okay, is this going to be exciting or is this going to be a little painful? There are times that we're transparent, and it can be both, can't it? Yes, ma'am. And, and you know what? What I love about the transparency, too, is because some people might be thinking, wow, I wouldn't want – I may, if you're drawing a salary from your business, for example, you might not want people to see what you're drawing. But that's the first thought, right, of our brain. Right? And, and as you've taught us, we can't control the first, but we control the second. So the second thought is, well, what would I have to be doing such that people would be like, wow, he's not paid enough. That's, all, that's what he does this for? So I, I, like, I like the pressure it puts on me from that standpoint. I don't want to be hypocritical. I want people to see when they see the numbers on stage or they see the numbers if, I'm, if we're out and about, like, what's the mess about profitability? Right. I don't want there to be smoke and mirrors. I like to go to bed at night knowing that I'm, I'm leaving it all out there. And for better or for worse, um, we're trying our best every day, and we're, and we're aiming for incremental growth every day, not perfection. Well, you definitely live in the present. We know that uh, you can only correct things in the present moment. That's the only time that change can actually happen. And with you implementing all these things into your business, what are you proactively doing right now today to grow your business? So 
as Gary told us, and as much as I wanted to fight it, because whenever I want to fight anything he says, inevitably, whether it's a year later, a month later, a day later, he's always right. Um, we, <laughs> as, a, as a leader of the, as a, yeah, as a is, leader of the organization, and you know, you know, it's true. So, like, I'll, I'll, so the example for me that, that that connects to is recruiting. You know, no one wants to come to me and talk about growth. I'm like, you know, we got we got the right people. We're we're good. Let's just focus on on increasing um, the, the the per agent, you know, average average transactions, average sales price, average earnings, and that's that's not wrong. It's just it can't just be that because life happens, right? Sometimes people just move and maybe they just they leave the business for whatever reason. So as as a leader of the organization, I can't allow it to fail by not having the right person on the bench to step in. So inevitably, that's one thing as a, as a leader, like always focus on that, always, always looking for talent. And you hear this, the Lance Locans of the world tell this so well, wherever he is on this planet, his radar is always up. And that's, a, that's, a, that's what I strive to do as well. Um, but in addition to that is just the basics. You know, yes, one of the missions of our organization is to talk about wealth building with, our, with, our, with the members of our team, 100%. That's in our DNA. However, I can't hallucinate that this person that's been with us for a few months is still working to get to their, their minimum standard of two transactions per month. So what do I need to be doing to pour into that person? And so the answer that Sajay and I, my coach, have landed on is we're pipeline reviewing. We're working on, on qualification skills. We're working on that, those basic skills of figuring out who needs to be in my funnel and who should, be, who should be put out to the side until they're ready. So we're not getting happy years about our sales prospects. So we're confronting the reality of people's businesses and taking the emotion out of it and just asking a couple of good questions about each prospect to make sure they're real and that we have definitive next steps. So those, those two things is, are where I kind of volley back and forth on these days, pouring in, in new existing agents and finding the best talent that our team's going to need you know, next year. So people development is very important to you. What are some of the things that you're doing to develop your people? Well, one of the, the biggest reasons we came to Keller Williams was all the training. So it'd be silly then a couple of years later to say, well, let's just do this all ourselves. And to be clear, as a member of our organization, we believe it's our responsibility to go and teach in our market center and in the region and, and wherever we can. Uh, and we also believe in taking back that training as well that the market center is providing. So we utilize our productivity coach for onboarding. Right? People go through that program that the market center is putting on, so we leverage that to there. Um, they're all new people going through your, Diana, your bold class. Um, in fact, it's going on right now here in Philadelphia, which is wonderful. Um, Ignite. Uh, runs through our, our market center. We rotate through. I'm, one of the, I'm proud to be one of the instructors for that, and our team goes through that. Um, and then, of course, we encourage everyone to go to the, 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 regional, uh, the regional events outside of our office and, of course, the national and international events as well. So if it's Keller Williams, we're, we're plugging into it, and I don't, I don't believe there's actually any class or any training that we do um, that, is not, that is not being created for us that we just bring to life by putting our energy behind it. Um, and so we, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Yeah, now, look, I'd be lying if I said we didn't fall into that trap a couple times throughout the years and create our own, you know, recruiting, you know, Bible, uh, if you will. Um, but, you know, really, like I said before, it always comes back to what has Gary created, what has Diana created that we can plug into, and inevitably it's there. And it's, all it takes is our energy put into it, and good things come. And so do you have standards that you hold your people to? Well, we didn't for a very long time. In fact, until this year. Right, so we made it to uh, what five point two million dollars in gross commission income with no standards. 
And we realized that in order to grow, in order to serve the people we work with, our support members, our agents, we were hallucinating that we were actually running a business. We were just running a brokerage, and we were running a brokerage that wasn't at Keller Williams because Keller Williams doesn't allow people just to show up, do two transactions a year, and not pour into them and hold them accountable. That's just not the way it works. And yet, that's the business we were running. If we're really being honest with each other. And I, I was very fortunate to go to a family reunion where um, was in a breakout session where people were sharing sharing feedback on why they had to rebuild their organizations. And inevitably, they came back to the fact that they were just essentially smashing people into a room and the top couple folks would be productive and, and, and they would hope they would just have enough in there to run a profitable business. And I came back to my, my current partners and leaders and said, you know, I think we might be running a business here that, that's lacking some values. We weren't even at the standard conversation yet, Diana. We were just at, at values. Um, and so we had to come back and confront that reality and talk to our people about what we were building, where were we going? Because we were experiencing pain. If we were talking about the importance of going to bold, for example, and how that could not only just affect your sales business, but affect your life, your marriages, your, your personal relationships. We weren't on the same page as what we were realizing when those conversations were coming up. And we were so passionate about it. We, we've, we've seen the events. We've seen the people speaking and the tears and the emotion coming from all these experiences that come from really plugging into our, our, our wonderful organization. And yet, our team wasn't experiencing any of that. And we were getting to a point where it just felt like we were battling each other more than we were kind of pulling each other along. Does that make sense? Yes. You know, and, and so we had to have that conversation like, guys, this organization needs the right to grow. Because we were running into some of these conversations about why do we need to bring in new agents? Um, you know, and, and so we were going through this battle of, well, when we bring in new people, it raises up our, the pressure on us to have to perform, have to pour into others, have to give back. And that's what we want for this organization. And some people just weren't on the same page. And let's be clear, these are not bad people. We just didn't share the same vision or mission, Right. Um, but we had just never had the conversation. We had kidnapped our team, right? In one moment, we moved them from another brokerage, literally overnight, to a new one. And then all of a sudden, because we were plugged into the higher level, we were bringing back these conversations, and we were getting frustrated with them because they're like, why don't you get it? And they were getting frustrated with us. It was like, what are you guys talking about? Um, so we had to have a calm, logical, and frankly, some emotion there as well, conversation with like, guys, here's our dream. Here's what we're trying to do. If this is not your dream, let us help you find another opportunity. And that is why at the end of 2017, you know, this year, so just to recap, at the end of last year, we finished around $5.2 million in GCI income, 565 sales transactions, about $210 million in volume. This year, we're pushing for 350 units and about $4 million in GCI income. So about a million less in total income. And yet our organization this year is for the first time acting like a true team. A term that's frankly thrown around our business a lot, team. But I would challenge people to think, are you really running a team or is it really a group? We were just a group. There's a phrase on our whiteboard right now that says leave no team member behind. And so back to the original conversation earlier about the person that's been with the team for a few months but hasn't yet hit the standard of two transactions a month, I want the senior members of the team or the more productive members of the team to be painfully aware that there are people within our four walls that are not achieving their goal. And I want the awareness to be to reach down and physically pull that person up. So when they get next to a referral that they can maybe send their way, that's where they send it. Because they know when they help that person a couple years later, as that person builds up their business, they're going to reach back and help the new person as well. And to me, that is what a team does. And that is in line with the vision and mission we have and the culture 
for the organization that we're building. So that's a little bit about. Yeah, it sounds now like you're getting people that have the same values, that have the same hunger of growing things. And in Coaching Skills Camp, we talk about a performance curve. And I teach about how when you are dependent, then your performance is low. When you're independent, it goes up a little bit. Yet when you're interdependent, you thrive. And that's what it sounds like you guys are going for is that interdependency. So what lessons would you like to share with us that would allow us to bring people from independent to interdependent from a group to a team? Mm. Thank you for asking the question. So I think the first is if, if, if you're listening to this, and you're staring at the seventh level chart of how to build a team at Keller Williams, and you're thinking to yourself, I want to be a seventh level team owner. The first question we need to ask ourselves is, are we, are we recruiting dependent people? Um, specifically, if you're looking to be a seventh level team owner, you must recognize that the decisions you're making in your business today will be inherited by the future CEO of your team. So, a decision to build a dependent model early on may make it challenging for that seventh level leader to build out the organization beyond that. So I think too, what ties into this, this conversation is the difference between having or is a value conversation when you compare aspirational values to actual values that you're living today. So if you have an aspirational vision of building your team to be a really heavy prospecting team, high energy in the morning, in the office every morning, like a Jeff Quinton's team, for example, in New Jersey, then when you hire someone and you've had that conversation with them and they show up on the first day and it's 8.30 in the morning on a Thursday and the office is crickets, well, that was an aspirational value. That's not an actual value. So I think that's the first thing is getting clear on that and confronting that reality, right? Inspect what you're expecting from your values. And just be honest. It's okay if it's not there yet. Just put the plan in place to get from the, the aspirational to the actual. So the reverse of EDP. Um, so that will get you the conversation of building an inter- interdependent organization. Where is there evidence in your organization that that's actually true? So when we, I always have this conversation. When you look at our model, right, we have just under 40 agents on the team, and we have eight support members. So I challenge people when they're interviewing with us to shop with other teams and say, if they're really serious about creating an interdependent model, how do they have 50 agents on their team and one support member? Where's the interdependency? That doesn't, that doesn't seem like it's balanced. So look for evidence in your business that that's actually in fact true, that there is interdependence. Um, look at your cost of sale. If you have a varying commission model, um, are, you, are the senior agents on their team who are producing the highest the ones that are actually keeping the lights on in the office? Is that fair or is that really dependent? Are you really dependent on them to sell? What are they getting back in return? So I think the bottom line there is to confront the reality of where is there evidence that you're actually running an interdependent business or is it truly dependent and you want it to aspirationally be interdependent? And then all you have to do is put a plan together with your coach. Right, which is what you're talking about, get real, get right, right? And like Gary tells us all the time, look at reality, stare it right in the face. And you said earlier, no emotion, just look at the numbers. Speaking of numbers, goals are important. And right now, especially, people are setting goals. How do you set goals as a team? And how do you track those goals once they're set? Oh, great question. So, um, well, in terms of how we create them, it ties into our larger mission. 
right? Because we could have on our 135, we could have some lofty GCI unit goal there. For us as an organization, we've landed on the fact that there has to be a greater mission tied to the number one on our 135 or our G and our GPS. So now, ultimately though, we would let that organization down. So we, we've, we've partnered up with a, a local nonprofit here that helps take people off the streets in Philadelphia and get them into homes. Because we just thought it was too much of a sin to be working in a business where we're helping so many people every year buy and sell homes, but we're ignoring the 15,000 people who are living on the streets here in Philadelphia. So our mission ultimately ties to a dollar amount that we donate to this organization such that we can affect at least two families in 2019 and get them off the street. However, in order to be able to do that and donate that money from our net profits, we must be able to achieve a certain level of profitability, right? So the gas mask has to be on our business first. We just want to be able to elevate the conversation from, hey, Jake, you know, here's your goal versus actual. What are we going to do to bridge the gap? To, hey, Jake, here's the goal versus actual. If we don't do something now, we're not going to be able to help those families get off the streets. What are we prepared to do to make that change? So we had to elevate the conversation, to your point, Diana, to an emotional state to get people to take more action. We didn't want it to just be a left-brain conversation about a number goal. It had to be some sort of a tie-in there beyond the basic. So the, my colleague, Mike, and I, who runs our rental division, sat down and had a three-hour-long conversation about vision and really what gets us juiced up. And then we bring back that conversation to our leadership team, figure out what gets them juiced up, and we bring it back to our agents. We all get together, and we kind of co-create that goal and make sure that there's a, that getting our pulses pounding a little bit. And then it comes down to just breaking it up into our priorities and strategies, just like any other. We nail that goal literally to the whiteboard on our wall. It doesn't change. Um, and then uh, everyone knows their part in that. So everyone's pipeline has to add up to their specific piece. And we confront that on a weekly basis in our one-on-ones with our, our pipeline reviews. Um, and obviously every single morning on our calls, we're reviewing a couple key leading indicators of our success. Uh, the amount of testimonials we're receiving, the amount of listings we've taken, the amount of pressure reductions we've taken, number of homes we've sold. And so we're literally reviewing that every single morning on our 9 a.m. stand-up call. So it can't, we can't go more than 23 hours, basically, um, without confronting the reality of where we are as a business. And people who think that's monotonous, they're not connected to our mission. They're not emotionally tied in, and that's going to be a red flag right away. If they roll their eyes when the numbers conversation comes up, we, we know it's not. we're just not on the same page, and we're going to have to help them find another opportunity, most likely. Yeah, the same things keep coming back. You got to have a cohesive leadership team for sure. Now, I got to ask you though, Jake, you've done so many things and I'm listening to your podcast. I'm really excited and I'm a new agent. What advice do you have for me? In order to make any decisions in your business, whether large or small, do not gloss over the importance of having a mission, and a vision. Because otherwise, as you're faced with making decisions, whether it's what do I name my team to how am I going to generate leads for my business to how am I going to compensate my employees, you won't be able to make that decision with logic. You'll be making it based on emotion solely. So, and I think it's important to define the difference between a mission and a vision, right? So, and, and you can Google this obviously, but for me, it always comes down to a vision statement focuses on tomorrow and what an organization wants to ultimately become, and a mission statement focuses on what I can do today. And then, so when you have clarity on that, you can, when you're making your decisions, you can determine, hey, if I did go this direction with my commission split breakdown as I'm building my team, or 
if I did go this way with my lead lever, my, my, my one way I'm going to build my business from the very beginning, does that align with the mission and the vision you have? If not, one or two of those things might be out of whack and you probably need to go back to zero. So it's just like if you're going to get in your car and drive anywhere, you need to know where you're going. And you're, you hear this over and over. And so hopefully maybe if I'm saying it in a slightly different way or you're hearing this at a different point in your life, you're actually thinking slow down for a minute. And this, I guess this advice even applies for people even currently running your businesses. If something feels off, if it doesn't feel authentic, it most likely means that there's a breakdown between or lack of clarity in your mission and your vision and potentially even understanding what the, what the values and beliefs you hold sacred are. So all those conversations are equally as important as having your business plan. Um, so when you're faced with adversity, you'll know how you'll react. And you'll only be able to do that when you're clear on where you're going as a group or as an individual. Otherwise, you've basically just kidnapped yourself into this business or kidnapped your team and no one has any idea where you're going, and eventually they're going to want to jump out of the car if you don't tell them where they're going. So I think, Diana, the advice is to start there. Spend time thinking about your vision, your mission, the values you hold sacred, your beliefs, and be prepared to, to memorialize them until, until such time someone comes to you and your organization says, we can think bigger, we can think differently, and they convince you to change it. Otherwise, you need that as your guiding light, your decision-making tool uh, as you're building your business. Otherwise, you'll end up making decisions based on emotion. And, and years later, when the business has grown, you'll be faced with having to untangle all those things because maybe they're out of, out of alignment with your actual mission and your vision that you set out, set out for today. So when you're a team of one, it's the easiest time to make changes. Do it now, get clear on what you're doing, and then execute. Well, it's a lot easier to convince yourself, only sometimes you argue with yourself, too. And going into a shift, and some people are actually in the shift, I've been through personally six different shifts. What are you preparing for as the shift continues to come into Philadelphia? Well, as, as you've taught us through, through MAPS coaching, we either, our conversations are going to be pretty simple. We either have a skill issue or we have an execution issue. That's it, Right. So when, when you hear the, the phrase back to basics and everyone kind of throws that around, that's what I mean. Where's evidence on our schedule that we're working on our skills? Where are we role-playing? Where are we script practicing? Where are we dialoguing? Where are we could even working on the skill of critiquing each other so we can get better? Believe it or not, that's a skill I realized there was a deficiency on our team. People didn't even know how to get feedback. And frankly, we never taught it. So we actually had to go back to that. So when we do role-play, the people actually know how to give constructive feedback so the person role-playing can get better. So focusing on the skill, where's that on our schedule? And the execution, how are we actually tracking our activities? And as you told us as well, you don't push people, you push activities in a shifting market or in any market for that matter. So we just need to be clear on, uh, at all times, our numbers. What's it going to take for us to convert and run a profitable business? So a P&L that's two months out of date, unacceptable. It's too, it's, there's not, we don't have that margin of error. You know, a day can't go by, like I said earlier, where we don't connect and share stories. As, as a, when you're running a team, it would be a shame to forego all the institutional knowledge that you have in the organization. Chances are everyone's experiencing on your team similar issues but from different perspectives. So one of the reasons to talk every single day is simply to share stories so we all don't trip over the same stick sticking out of the curb on our way to work. We can protect each other from that. So... There's an analogy I like to use in the shifting market. I'm a, I'm a road cyclist, and I love it. One of the reasons I love it is, yeah, I could ride 100 miles by myself, and I could go at a pretty good clip, but I choose to ride in a group because I can go further, faster, and more efficiently. 
And in order to do that, I need to be within like two inches of the person's tire in front of me. In order to do that, I need to have, first of all, a lot of trust in that person, a mutual agreement that I'm allowed to be that close to that person. And I also need that person to point out the sticks in the road that are coming my way. So when we're going 35 miles an hour and I can't see around you, that I've got Diana in front of me pointing to the sticks and calling them out and saying, Jake, over to your right, there's a pothole. In a shifting market, just like in the cycling analogy, we need to stay closer together because we need to go, we need to be able to focus on efficiency. We need all the knowledge every single day. We need the feedback. We need the numbers. Um, and frankly, we need the accountability because there's too many negative Nancys, too many drunk monkeys that can pop into our heads when we start hearing different scripts that we're not accustomed to. So I like that analogy because as a team, that's how we're structuring this. Guys in the shifting market, we're going to be meeting more, not less. Right, we're going to be doubling down on the time we spend together, doubling down on what we're talking about, our script practicing. Um, so that's how we're addressing it. We're staying close just like a Peloton does in a bike race. So here you are. And every time I hear accountability, of course, my head goes to coaching. How important is it to have a coach, especially in the shift? The conversations happen so rapidly in our business now. The, the drunk monkeys pop in our heads so quickly in a shifting market. Right. So, and so many people have this conversation. Well, is it shifting because we're all talking about it shifting or is it really shifting? It's like this never ending cycle that we fall into. A coach is the person that breaks that cycle. It gets you back to let's focus on the plan, not the problem. How are we going to solve it? So it flicks your brain. And it, I need that in my week. A week can't go by without someone pushing me to think more clearly about what I'm doing, the decision I'm making, and ultimately the impact it's having. And my coach does a great job of always circling back to, well, if we didn't do this, what impact would it have on the people around us that you claim to care about? He knows how to get through to me. Um, so it, it's, it's, it's not an expense. It's a part of running a business. It's, it's, it's an investment in me, in my head, in my brain, and ultimately in all the people that um, are following me and that, I'm, and that I'm lucky enough to get to lead. It's all, it's all tied together. If I'm giving up on coaching, it means I'm giving up on growing and I'm giving up on the people in my business. That's the connection I make in my head such that I'll never stop. So what advice do you have for anyone listening to this podcast? The advice I have for people listening is to understand the level of responsibility that we have as leaders in this business to do what's right and help people achieve success. So whether you're running a team, whether you aspire to start a team, whether you're just about to get your license, understand that for so long, this business has been looked at as not a business and people have landed here by accident. If people are, are listening to this, they're entering the Keller Williams world. I thank you, Diana. I thank Gary for making it clear that we are running businesses. This is not by accident. This is on purpose. And as soon as we bring other people into our world, into our offices, into our teams, the responsibility grows and grows and grows and it will never stop. Once you've heard this, it's now your responsibility to pay it forward. So the advice here is plug in and stay plugged in. In, in shifting markets like we're in, we must rally together. Stay close to people who bring you up. Think about the conversations you have with people where you leave feeling energized. Literally, write, take out a piece of paper right now. Write it down. When you meet them, on, when you see them on the street, when you see them in the office, when you, when you get a text message from them, who makes you smile? Who makes your body language change? Those are the people, double the amount of time you spend with them. For the people who you see a lot throughout your day that didn't make that list, find polite ways to stay out of their way. Stay focused on the energy. 
and good things will happen. Even if you're an introvert like me, don't convince yourself that you are. Stay around people that are thinking at a huge level that really make you uncomfortable, um, and, and great things will happen. Excellent advice. I am so excited. I've taken notes. I'm certain that many of you have taken notes and definitely will improve your business. Jake, I'm sure you'll take referrals. Get out your phone right now. <laughs> Open up Kelly, and it's Jake, J-A-K-E, Dreyfus, D-R-E-Y-F-U-S-S, in Philadelphia, and he will be ready to take any and all referrals for his team that you have moving to Philly. And we're going to be at Recharge in Philly. And I trust I will see you, Jake, while I'm there. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been an honor. Thank you so much, Diana. So there you have it. Jake, thanks so much for being on our podcast and for taking time out of your busy day to educate our listeners about your experience and about the specific strategies that will help any KW agent sell more homes. And if you enjoyed listening to this podcast and would like to subscribe, search KW Maps Podcast on iTunes. You can also go to kwmapspodcast.com. As always, success is simple, not easy. And with that, we'll catch you next time on the KW Maps Podcast, Growth Edition. Take care. <laughs>